Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Inflation, 8.5% year over year, but luckily you're getting $200 back from the state of Indiana. So, you know, it's all fine. There's nothing to worry about. The market's super excited about this. And the only reason inflation is down, I mean, call it gas prices going down if you choose. I mean, you take a look at those numbers and you say to yourself, huh? The index for all items, less food and energy, rose 0.3%. A smaller increase than in April, May, or June. I guess that's a good sign. But the all items index, including food and energy, 8.5% for the last 12 months. Ending July, a small fi- smaller figure than the 9.1% increase for the period ending June. But less the gas prices going down also involves less people buying gas because they can't afford to drive anywhere. And they reach their breaking points on what the inflation has done to them. I would cheer smaller numbers. I would cheer moving in the right direction. You got to ask yourself what the numbers mean. If you missed it, uh, Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. We will get with him in a little bit. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. That's me. That's the show. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. But the rebate checks are coming. Now, some people never got their 125 So we note the difference. The $125 came because of a piece of legislation. It's an automatic tax rebate. But some people didn't get their checks. There's a paper shortage. I I swear to you, that's the argument from Tara Klutz, who's a state auditor, who is an absolutely lovely person. I have no idea if she's a good auditor or not. I don't have the ability to judge that thing. As a person, in the terms of a couple times I met her, totally lovely. The vendor got the paper last week, and so this is the paper they're going to use to send the additional $200. So now they're going to be printing uh, 50,000 checks a day, and all the checks should be mailed out in seven weeks. So start sometime next week and count seven weeks. And do you have uh, both checks or, or if you already got one, you get the other one. Unless you're somebody who gets direct deposit, which gets bloop, puts right in. That's the way that one works. I don't think I got a, I don't know if I get a, a check from the automatic tax rebate. I think it was, uh, I think it was a direct deposit. Thing. That's what I remember. That's what I remember. So expect it. I don't know how much it's going to help, but it's your money. You get it back. I can't complain when you get your money back. I am a fan of when you and I get our money uh, back. But there's another story in Indiana that matters greatly, and you heard me discuss what I consider to be the absolutely unacceptable position of Eli Lilly and company. What Lilly did regarding the Indiana abortion bill, abortion legislation, I thought was despicable. It was an attack on the state of Indiana. Ugly. Unnecessary. Putting out a statement, uh, given this new law, we will be forced to plan for more employment growth outside our home state. Why? The argument, of course, is that because you would have restrictions on abortion, you can't hire good people. There is no data point that shows this. If there is, please, please send it my way. Tony at TonyCats.com. I would love to see it. 
I want to understand why this gets said. It seems to me to be a nonsense talking point utilized to attack and make uh, the assumption that all the good people only think in one direction. Horse crap. Lots of pro-lifers out there who are good at coding. We're not going to be able to hire. We're not going to be able to find any scientists, Eli Lilly. Stop it. Scientists, you mean people who might actually believe in the idea that abortion kills something? You're not going to find any good scientists? Holy hell. It's, it's remarkable that you could actually put that out there, guys. Just It's embarrassing. And what it really is is an attack on Indiana. It's hateful. I don't think you should be engaged in hate. But over there at Wish TV, Brady Gibson and Richard Richard Essex, sorry, Richard Essex reporting. They note that the pack for Lily donated to lawmakers who supported abortion restrictions in Indiana. Channel 8, Wish TV did a review of the available campaign finance reforms, uh, finance records, the ones that are publicly available, and the Lilly Political Action Committee donated to the campaigns of more than a dozen state lawmakers who supported the ban. Lilly PAC donated $87,500 to state lawmakers who cast votes on the final version of SB1. More than 50,000 of those donations went to 16 state lawmakers, all Republicans. Fascinating. I think more fascinating was the piece from IBJ, Peter Blanchard, reporting. Why did major Indiana companies stay silent on new abortion law until it passed? And it makes note of how both Eli Lilly and Cummins waited until after the legislature uh, passed it, after Governor Holcomb signed it, to issue statements opposing the measure. They also note that most other major employers, Roche Diagnostics, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and the NCAA have remained silent. And so they should. But it is interesting that Lilly waited for comment ipso facto, after the fact. You start to understand that if they had commented before, people would notice who they donated to. If they commented before, you might get more heat for enabling the people who created this despicable legislation. That's their words. Not Well, people who disagree with the legislation, their words. They didn't want the heat. So they put out a statement that makes them woke, that allows them to show how much they care, but was... Too little, too late. And the statement that shows how much they care and how, how they stand with the pro-choicers and they stand with a woman's right to choose. Next thing you know, they're going to tell me uh, that abortion is a reproductive right. All for posture, did Eli Lilly. All for show. Their statement attacks the state of Indiana. It attacks their home. There is simply no reason for them not to grow right here. They may need to hire people in other places. It's a large company. It makes perfect sense to me. I don't run a pharmaceutical company. 
I know an assault on a state when I see it. And they did it so they could look good to stockholders, friends, other CEOs. See, we care. See, we, we, we're in the fight. It's pathetic. And I find it fascinating that two news outlets, I mean, I was talking about it, but Wish TV and the IBJ doing A, real journalism, and B, asking a valuable question. Why was Lily silent? Man, bad, bad week for Eli Lilly. We just wanted to be woke. We do, We just wanted to show people we were on the right side of the issue because that's where our friends told us we had to be. Otherwise, we'd be on the wrong side of the issue. And wrong side is bad, even though we, we, we made it look like everybody in, in, in the Eli Lilly Corporation feels the same way. Uh, no, they don't. Not everybody who works for Lilly uh, thinks Lilly is making smart uh, PR moves here. You understand that, right? Whatever Dave Ricks and the PR team put out for Lilly, that is not indicative of how the entire company feels, all the people who work in the company. Some people are just working their job, man. You're a scientist. You're, 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 you're a researcher. There are only so many gigs, Boo Bear. It's not like one place is better than the other. You take the gig. You're getting paid well. You're doing good work. You're doing something for society. Right on. They all don't agree. And it's why I think it's so despicable when these companies put out these statements because what they're doing is silencing people within their companies. That's how it smacks. They're silencing people inside their own companies. Do they really feel that they could speak out? Do you think that someone um, who works at Salesforce, who thinks that it's wrong that you let a child determine their gender because it is wrong and it is child abuse, do you think they could say so out loud at Salesforce? Do you think they could say so in a company Slack or email? Or will they be thrown out on their butt? Will they be vilified? Will they be called a hater or transphobic? You're not transphobic to note that children can't determine their own gender. And the people who support that stuff are abusers. They're child abusers. Say so. They are what they are what they are. You you can't say no to a child. Of course you can say no to a child. Hey, Dad, can I eat this Tide Pod? No. Proof of saying no. Dad, can I change my gender to... No. Yeah, but no. You can't change your gender. You are who you are who you are. You are who you are. Also, you're 12. You do something at 30, I'm not going to be able to stop you, but you're 12. The job of the parent is to protect the child more often than not from themselves. You don't let 12-year-olds take puberty blockers. You don't let 12-year-olds get surgery. You don't let 12-year-olds make this decision or even pretend they can make this decision. And any adult, any parent, any teacher, anywhere who goes down this road is an abuser. Think you can say that at Salesforce? I don't know if you can. 
Can you work for Eli Lilly and say, I'm pro-life and I think that the abortion restrictions in Indiana don't go far enough? Can you say that? I don't know. But when they put out a statement like they did at Eli Lilly, they sure as hell make it tougher. They clearly, truly do. But there is a bigger question at play. Bigger than... Does, uh, you know, why did they say silent? And bigger than the donations they gave to their PAC. Uh, donations get given all the time. Uh, they're, they're, they have to deal with politicians. They have to get things passed. They want to be in good graces. That is, that is, that is 101, guys. That is a standard. Making the donation is the standard. So they make the donation. And then, you know, maybe... Uh, Uh, Maybe Bill Osterley, uh, the co-founder and former CEO of Angie's List, is right that uh, executives were likely trying to uh, affect change behind closed doors. Remember, it was uh, I I never met Bill Osterley, but I didn't enjoy his positions during RIFRA. I opposed RIFRA on constitutional grounds. Um, But the people who attacked the state of Indiana over RIFRA are some of the most despicable people who ever existed. You, 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 you discuss something and you disagree with it and you oppose it based on rational thought, not based on destroying where you live. And a lot of people did that and it was despicable. But the bigger question, the question bigger than um, the money given by Eli Lilly is now for these Republicans who believe in restrictions on abortion you going to keep taking Eli Lilly's money? You know how they feel. You know what they just did? They just tried to destroy the state. Saying we're not going to hire in the state anymore is an abusive thing to do. It's an attack. And it should be called out as such. So now, to those Republicans, are you going to keep taking their campaign donations? I guarantee you I'm the first person to ask this question. Are you going to continue to take campaign donations from Eli Lilly considering what they just did to the state of Indiana? That's the question to Republicans, but wait, there's more. To the Democrats of Indiana, will you continue to take campaign dollars from Eli Lilly considering that they supported those who voted for a, a a total ban on abortion. Remember, we don't have a total ban, but some of them did vote for a total ban, would want a total ban, would love to get a total ban. So are you going to take Eli Lilly's money? What's your plan? Every Democrat in the General Assembly, Every Republican in the General Assembly should be put on the record to answer these questions. Will you take Eli Lilly's money any longer? Lilly never planned for this to become a conversation. That's obvious. And I'd be a fool if I didn't recognize the good work of Eli Lilly, both as a a company and in Indianapolis, and of the, the foundation and the endowment. But I have long questioned Eli Lilly as a civic partner in Indianapolis and in Indiana. 
Eli Lilly and other companies will be quick to tell the General Assembly, stay out of policing in Indianapolis. That's none of your concern. But they do not publicly demand that the mayor, Joe Hogsett, and the city county council solve crime issues and get the streets in working condition again, cleaned up, cleaned up from the homelessness, have people back in the storefronts. The business community of of Indianapolis did not excoriate Mayor Joe Hogsett for allowing two nights of rioting, banks to be set on fire, and businesses to be destroyed. They never did it. They never put out a front page on the Indy Star that said, fix this now. Never once. Never once. But going after the General Assembly, they'll all sign that letter. Going after the state of Indiana, saying, oh, we couldn't hire people in this state. They can do that. So now it's time for elected officials to ask themselves whether or not they want to be connected to a company that has not been a good civic partner. That has been attacking. Republicans and Democrats have to ask themselves, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to take money from a company that supported those who voted for a total ban on abortion, Democrats? Do you want to be taking money from a company, Republicans, that thought they could buy you? Look, I didn't cause the problem. I just noticed it. And it's right there. I look forward to seeing what comes next. I'm Tony Katz. And here it goes. I'm just a kid. So the Big Ten is no longer in negotiations with ESPN for ESPN to televise their football and basketball games because the Big Ten wanted $380 million a year on a seven-year deal. I got that right. Right, Ryan? I have that right? That is yeah, correct. I have that right. Uh, I, I have been uh, going through and trying to figure out, because they may move more of the games to CBS and NBC. They're already with Fox. Fox owns 61% of the Big Ten network. Isn't that better for them? Isn't that better for the Big Ten not to be on ca- basic cable, to be with CBS and NBC? No? Yes? I, I, I would think Yes. And then I've read some other people are like, no, this this is a problem because ESPN is the juggernaut. And I'm like, yeah, but like, is it isn't this more access? And considering you're adding USC and UCLA, those people who are really into Big Ten sports, aren't they going to order the Big Ten network? Do they care if it's ESPN? I'm very curious to see how people view this and how it plays out find everything at tonycats.com this is tony cats today first the economic plan is working the second is building an economy that will reward work wages are up this month provide opportunity help the middle class and still have work to do, but we're on track. Fly Inflation Report and CNN Chief Business Correspondent Christine Romans is here to break down the numbers. Christine, tell us what you're seeing. Look, it didn't get worse. And that is what a lot of people were really zeroing in on here. Uh, Inflation 
in the month up eight and a half percent year over year in July. In June, it was 9.1 percent. So that's that sign of cooling in this still hot inflation. I think you can say that the boil is off, but this is a still very hot near a 40 year high uh, for inflation. So the numbers are out. The CPI, the Consumer Price Index, showing 8.5% inflation year over year for the month of July, down from the 9.1%. But you have people who are very excited because it shows itself flat in the growth between June and July. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz, today, am I to take from this? That inflation is over, uh, as you just heard there from CNN. Uh, the boil is off, but it's still very hot. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. You can find him on Twitter, Dr. Matt Will, W-I-L-L, Dr. Matt Will on Twitter. Uh, you take a look at these numbers. What do they say to you? Well, Tony, what it tells me is, People only read the headlines. Do they bother reading anything other than the headline? That's, I just got that question for the world. Because if you read down the very first sentence in the report from the Labor Department, what you see is that food is up 13% annualized. Housing is up 6% annualized. Tony, it was the drop in gas. The drop in gas is what made it flat. The drop in energy costs made this flat. If it weren't for that, Tony, we would have another record month of increases in inflation. So let's uh, discuss this because food is is broken down into two categories. I'm taking a look at the at the chart just like you are. There's food at home and food away from home, right? That's what I'm looking at right here from BLS.gov, Bureau of Labor Statistics. So break down what those numbers are. Well, annualized, I like annualized, Tony. Most people don't. You know, the, 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 not most people. The media and the White House, they like to say the last 12 months. So uh, food at home up 13% over 12 months. Uh, food away from home up 7.6% over 12 months. Um, I like to look at the month times 12, Tony. A month times 12 is 13% eating, um, eating up, or I'm sorry, 13% total between the two. That's what I think we should look at more closely, because when you go to the grocery store to buy dinner, it's up 13 percent, Tony. That's insane. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about supermarket, talking about meat prices. But yeah, I will have this White House and others tell me uh, that things are coming down. I'll have Paul Krugman, Nobel laureate in in, in economics. He's got you beat there, sir. uh, Telling me that a butcher is uh, he's overhearing a conversation from a butcher saying meat prices are actually coming down. There's this continued move to say things that aren't said, but break down this energy part because we've seen gas prices go down. And of course, I applaud gas prices going down, but there is a supply and demand conversation taking place that makes this, I mean, good that they're going down, but showing an indicative of a problem. Tony, that's exactly right. People don't understand why they're going down. They started going down in January of this year. Why? Or not, I'm sorry, not January, just a, a few months ago. Why? Because a recession is here. Energy prices drop during a recession because there's less demand. So they're dropping for the wrong reason, Tony. They're dropping because businesses don't need energy because they don't need to produce stuff because they don't need employees and they don't need to sell product. During a growth stage in the economy, there's a demand for energy. So the prices go up. We are now back right now, Tony. We are the exact same prices when the Russian sanctions began. 
So all we've done is what you and I talked about back in March, Tony, that Russia would eventually figure out how to sell their oil. They sold none of it to India. Now they're selling a lot to India. They sold very little to China. Now they're selling a lot to China. The, the market has worked itself out. So the Russian sanctions are now meaningless from an energy standpoint. And all we are at is 90 bucks a barrel where we when Biden was elected, it was at $40 a barrel. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. By the way, you're right uh, on the head there. West Texas Intermediate is at 91. Brent crude is at 96.68. The market itself was up 500. Right now, the Dow is up uh, or has been, up, I should say, as much as, as 500. We've seen a drop down into the upper fours. The market's excited by this. The NASDAQ up over 300. Why shouldn't we cheer this as something positive? A lesser number has got to be better, right? It is better, Tony. And, and the market is up because they thought it was going to be worse. So there's. So this is our definition of success now, Tony. It could have been a lot worse. We could have been in really, really bad shape. I mean, Tony, that's our definition of success in this era, is it could have been a lot worse, but it's still really bad. We only have the third highest uh, inflation rate in the history of our uh, modern keeping of records. Let's take a, a look back at this, uh, some of these numbers, because there's uh, all items, less food and energy, and uh, that's getting a lot of, uh, of talk. Food and energy being the things that are, uh, w- would I be wrong in arguing that they're the most volatile and they're, they're the most consumed, so therefore they have the most impact on, on inflation? Well, yeah, food, but also, um, yes, food and energy are those items, and you tend to remove those because they're the biggest impact. But what about housing? You know, think about food, shelter, housing. Those are the things that you're really concerned about, and housing is up 6% annualized. Now, again, I annualize the numbers. It's 5.7% if you look at just the last 12 months. So what do you do for a daily thing, Tony? You buy your food and you pay for your house. Those are your big-ticket items. And they're still up. Well, I'm looking at and, and by the way, I, just because I have it in front of me as the uh, 12 month ended, that's the number I'm going to be using. I'll, I'll, I have no issue with you going with the annualized. I'm looking at new vehicles up 10.4 percent and used cars up 6.6. I got an offer on a 2014 minivan that I own. It's a 2014 freaking minivan and people are willing to give me ungodly amounts of money for it. The problem is what the hell do I buy when vehicles are up? uh, If if I were to average those two together, 8 percent. Well, Tony, you know, think about it. Someone's going to offer you 6% more for your used car, and then you have to go buy a new car for 10% more. Sounds like you should hold on to your used car. It does sound like I should hold on to my used car. And, I, and so far, that that's what I've done. But I will admit, I have taken your advice, not that you're an investment guy, and I have uh, here and there gotten into more asset-related things, actual things with my dollars, versus just keeping the dollars because it becomes worth less over time because the inflation is increasing. So now we take a look at this number, this 8.5% number, which you state is the third highest on on record. What has to happen over the course of the next three months? We'll talk about it in political terms, gearing up to an election, for people to think, okay, the economy the is doing good. We're, we're, we're on the right path. I think what has to happen is corporate profits need to be up. 
the 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 pace of hiring which has increased needs to be maintained it needs to that that gap of worker shortage needs to be maintained and they need to eliminate the supply uh, chain short problems because remember tony people you know biden lied to us when he said the supply chain is fixed it's not fixed they've simply moved to different ports they've moved to different ports you know freightways.com which tracks global ships said that on July 28th, we had the second highest number of ships waiting off port. It just wasn't Long Beach. It was just other places in the country because they moved their ships. We still have the second highest in history, Tony. So a lot needs to change between now and November or for the, for the president to, to, to do well politically from economic data. You're, I want to make sure I went over that again. You need to see corporate profits up. By what percent? By what number? You know what? I can't give you a number. I can tell you more than is expected. Right now, they're expected to be slight, to be flat. The current market is built in flat profits. So unless we see increase in earnings, increase in revenue estimates, um, right now they're forecast to be flat. So it's really expectations, Tony, more than the actual number. I have been discussing, sir, Dr. Matt Will, I'm talking to economist at University of Indianapolis. Um, uh, financial, uh, it's financial economist, not theoretical economist, correct? Correct. And my, right. my specialty is investments. You said not investments. It actually is my specialty is investments. But yeah, My point was you don't manage my portfolio. We, we don't have no. a financial relationship. <laughs> I was just listening to you about cash on hand versus investing in actual, having actual stuff. Um, it was the Tony, Bank of England. Cars. You should have bought more used cars. You realize used cars would have been your best investment for your money. Well, I bought one, you know, and, and, and what are you going to do? Uh, it, it, the Bank of England stated that in order to get to their 2% desired inflation threshold, that's going to take until 2025. 2025 is when they see the inflation getting back to the place where they're comfortable with things yet we in the united states saying oh gosh look at the jobs report from last month oh look here's uh where where inflation is right now we passed the inflation reduction act which is going to engage spending of billions of dollars and moody's financial service said it will indeed bring down inflation in two to three years the same as the bank of england where there's no conversation uh, that i know of of additional spending so if we were going to get there in three years, that's what it was going to take. Time sometimes does heal some wounds, and hopefully you get some better policy in there. Uh, the the economists that you know, the 230 that signed the letter, you would have signed the letter if it was offered to you saying, don't pass this legislation. Are more economists discussing that this spending is only going to exacerbate our problem? Yes, Tony. The only ones that aren't are ones that are pretty far to the left and those that are government economists. Even the S&P thing that you referenced, Tony, three years, you know what their increase was, a decrease? 0.3%. I would like everybody out there to imagine a 0.3% forecasted drop three years from now. That's, uh, you know, that's like, you know, what, trying to hit a target from a mile away with my uh, slingshot. I mean, good luck on hitting that one right. Um, but, Tony, you, you said it perfectly. It's the spending. I don't know if you want to get into the whole CHIPS Act, but the day after the CHIPS Act was signed, the entire microchip industry announced that they're pulling back production. So if you want to get into that, I'm fine. The CHIPS Act was um, about saying, hey, we need to be proactive 
in the space of building microchips. We need to be able to uh, deal uh, with with China properly. And there were those who said, uh, uh, National Review had, had editorials about this and others, this this legislation is not what we think it is. This legislation seems to give China a level of advantage. Uh, it moved so quickly, it moved quick, more quickly than I could really get a good handle on it. So discuss, to, explain to me where you see the issue is, and then talk to me about how the market moved. Well, Tony, we got hoodwinked because some of us thought that this was going to be a national security issue where there's going to be laws passed back in the 80s under Reagan, where we said this is a national security. We need to manufacture chips here. Instead, it was a $280 billion pork barrel project where we're throwing money at the chip industry. And then the day after they made the announcement that we're going to subsidize chip makers, they announced that they're reducing production. Tony, they knew before they got that money. They knew they were going to reduce production. That is a bait and switch, and if not anything, it's an outright lie. And I wonder why the FBI isn't investigating these chip makers for withholding information before they got $280 billion from the government. So they took the dollars, and they're going to lower output so they can keep the price where it is? Micron, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, yes, Tony. That's exactly what they're doing. Well, you are just a ray of sunshine today, aren't you? (laughs) We've had some rain, so you should be happy. You you need the sunshine to overcome the overcast. That is Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. (sighs) So I'm... I'm not pleased with what I'm seeing thus far. This is basically where we're at. Uh, Dr. Will, I appreciate taking the time. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Smoke at the Creek. This is going to be so good. Martinsville, Indiana, Cedar Creek Winery and Brew Company. Oh, it's a cigar event. It's actually a cigar show in Martinsville. So there's there's this group. First of all, I'm Tony Katz. Say, hey, how are you? You guys know I, I, I'm what's known as a cigar guy. I host uh, the Eat, Drink, Smoke radio show and podcast. It is, it's the largest of its kind in the country, we figured out. The Cigar and Bourbon Review Show, Lifestyle Show. I mean, we're on 65 stations across the country. Man, we, should be in, we should be on more. I don't, I don't disagree. It's going fantastic. Uh, sponsorship's now available. I think you always got to say that. Sponsorship's now available. Uh, so I, I do a lot with the cigar world. So there's something called the Boutique Cigar Association. There's the Premium Cigar Association. That's the show in Vegas. I, I did it uh, this past year. Well, there's the Boutique Cigar Association. And the difference is about the, the amount of sales, right? Great cigars, great production, great things happening. Just just a, a smaller batch, if you will. Those are boutique cigars. Well, they're starting to grow in, in name and notoriety. And they put together their own trade show, if you will, in Martinsville at Cedar Creek Brew Company. So they've got a brewery and a, and, a, and a winery and a distillery down there. And then they've got a restaurant and they've got this stage and people bring their, their, their lawn chairs and it's concerts. It's, it's incredible. Incredible. And so that's where they have the show. That's where they have the Boutique Cigar Association show. They call it a Boutique Cigar Festival. So it's Friday the 12th and it's Saturday the 13th. 
So you can get the VIP tickets for the Friday, or you can just go uh, to, to, to the Saturday show. Um, in incredible time. And if you do the VIP thing, you like you get you get so much crazy, crazy stuff. It, it, it's 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 really something. I was like, you'll get like a whole bunch of cigars, and you get I don't know, you get a foot rub. It, it's nuts. I will be there. I will absolutely uh, uh, be there because we're recording there, and then we're just gonna you know show up myself and Fingers Malloy. I just love that it's happening in Indiana. Love that it's happening uh, in, in in Indiana because it's why shouldn't we? be a name in, in cigars. Don't get me wrong. You can't really use Indiana tobacco to the extent there is Indiana tobacco. It, it doesn't it doesn't really fly. But we have a history with cigars from Evansville, whether it's the Charles Denby or, or Lafendrick. Uh, um, there's, there's been a couple of great names in cigars. It's come out of Indiana. So Martinsville, August 12th and 13th. You can go to Eventbrite. Smoke at the Creek. Smoke at the Creek is uh, is where you go, and uh, and I'll see you down there.